This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, thank you very, very much. Yes, Al was a, a very, very close friend of mine. And um, he, was, he brought a lot, a lot of simcha that is missing his spot, was always in the middle of the bima. And we miss him very, very much. But I'm hoping that this year, I'm sure that he's here because he used to... Mike, I don't need a mic for this room. He used to, he used to, um, the mic is connected to, no, the mic's connected to you? No. So, um, he used to go with me, when I first started speaking, he used to go with me to all the shiurim, um, and you know, sometimes you're a man and you're talking to all these ladies and you need a little support. So he was always sitting right next to me. He was my, he was my support, so I'm sure, I'm sure that he's sitting next to me today. So the topic I picked... It's positive criticism, but I didn't realize what would happen in the last two weeks. Today, I want to talk about a video that went around and went viral of a person giving advice to a mother after her child ended up showing up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So, this is a very important class today, specifically for the women who are like, wow, I want to tell you that I repeated to a Mormon in Utah that I know very well, who's the head of one of the best rehabs in the world, I said, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe this guy's right. Let's go out of Klai Yisrael before I'm going to talk about what the Torah says about this. And I told him about making lunch for the kid and the parents making a l'chaim, that finally they had a chance to love their kid. I told him the whole story. And this is what this guy said to me. That's not a man of the word that spoke, is it? That's not a man of God that spoke, is it? Those are the words of the devil. This is a Mormon guy who doesn't have a Shulchan Aruch, doesn't have a Sarasadibras. The words of the devil. And they are the words of the devil, and I'm going to explain to you why. So let's go over the story for those who don't know the story. So this guy gets a phone call from a mother at 8 o'clock in the morning. And the mother says the following, I have a son, he's 17 years old. She doesn't say he's off to Derech, or he doesn't keep Shabbos, or he's not going to Yeshiva. There's no mention in his speech that the kid is off to Derech at all. They gave their kid a car. But in New Jersey, in Lakewood, you have to be back at 9 o'clock because it's a junior license. So his mother said at a quarter to 9, he asked for the car. She said, well... You only have 15 minutes. They're going to arrest you if, after the 15 minutes. He said, no, mom, I'm going to the corner. I'm getting an iced coffee, and I'm coming home. Okay? 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. Finally, his mother, he answers his cell phone. And she says, where are you? Me and your father, we're up. It's 1 o'clock. 
And he says, bug off, Ma. That's what he says. And he shows up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Now this mother calls this person and says, what do I do? For all us normal people, what I'm about to say is extremely not normal. But some of us are buying into it. The reason I'm getting up to speak about it today is because of the people that are doing the right things and are made to feel bad that you're a bunch of abusive parents because you don't do what you're told to do. It's sort of the world that we live today. What the world is doing, I don't want to get into it word by word, but what the world is doing, what is legal in America today, the marriages of men and men and women and women, which is legal today. So, you know what? If, you want to, if that's what you want to do, you're not, you, you want to do whatever you want to do. But don't make me feel guilty because I'm straight. Because I'm normal. Because the guy wants to marry a woman, not another guy. Don't make us feel that we're sick and we're racist and we're bigots and we're terrible prehistoric people. You want to do what you want to do. You've always done it. We know about it. Do whatever you want to do. That's your business. It's between you and God. It's not my problem. But don't make the straight person, don't make the good mechanic, don't make the good mother and father feel like they're evil because they're giving boundaries which he made fun of. Oh, you're going to call the therapist the next morning and they're going to tell you to have boundaries? He ridiculed every therapist in the world. He ridiculed Yiddishkeit. We are, we are a nation of boundaries. That's what keeps us through all these years or we'd be totally assimilated and we wouldn't be here anymore if we didn't have boundaries. So this is what he tells the mother. It, it's mamish to the Gaisha world. It's like a joke. It's like I was waiting till the end of the tape for him to say, just kidding. That's not really what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. I was sure the whole thing was a joke. So he tells the mother, what I want you to do First of all, in the morning, I want you and your husband to buy a cake and buy some whiskey. When you hear it now, it's like, it's, not, it's really, well, obviously this is not normal. And I want the two of you to sit down and make a kiddish. Because your son told you to bug off and, 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 and came home at four o'clock every second, every second that those parents didn't know where their child was. He was over the fifth of the Ten Commandments. The foundation of the first five, there's five and five, right? The foundation of the first five, I'm God, the keeping Shabbos, the foundation, the mitzvah on the bottom, is kibbutz of the aim. Kibbutz of the aim is the only mitzvah that's in the first five, that's been Adam Lamakam. What is it doing there? It belongs with the other ones. No. Kibbutz of the aim is not only Ben Adam Lamakam, you and your parents, it's been Adam Lamakom. It is the foundation of I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of Mitzrayim. Because if you cannot respect your parents, if you cannot appreciate your parents who, who, who took care of you as a child, how could you appreciate an Echa Hashem like I took you out of Mitzrayim. I wasn't in Mitzrayim. I don't remember that. You'll never get to an Echa Hashem if you don't have Kivit of the end. Every second that that boy was out partying, 
And his mother and father never were standing by the phone because they thought he was dead off a cliff. It's an Aveira, Ben Adam and Ben Adam And God is very specific. Kivit of Aim is connected to how long you live. Because at the end of Kivit of Aim, the only mitzvah except for Shluach Akan, that it says, if you want to live wrong, then you better honor your parents. And if you don't honor your parents, you don't have that bracha. So he wants them to make a kiddush in the morning. Why? Because it's the first time, he says, that your child will know that you love them. Until now, he was a good boy. and You told him he loved them. Maybe he only loved me because I'm a good boy. Now that he did this terrible thing, now if you love him, he will finally know that you love him. So the two of you now have a chance to be in the Kaddish Shem Shemayim. I don't know what you have a chance to do. And you should make a Lechayim. And you should eat cake. And a woman after my speech, Matthew Shabbos, came over to me and said, I got five kids. They're not off the derech, but they don't listen to me. I'm going to be making Kiddush every single morning with my husband. You're going to have to take me. I'm going to be addicted. I'm going to, I'm going to end up in a rehab. And I'm going to be 80, 800 pounds more because I'm going to eat. I love seven-layer cakes. So every time my kid makes me aggravated, I'm going to make a Kiddush because I'm going to hug him afterwards. It's not ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It's, it's beyond ridiculous. And there are women in this room, and there are women that are listening, that are like, wow, send me the video. You don't want your children to live long? You don't want the money you reach in your mecha? What, are you crazy? You don't believe in the fifth commandment? What are you doing? You want to watch a video like that? You want to make a kiddush every morning? Is that what you want? You want Hashem to give you a reason to make a kiddush every morning? But he's not done. Show your kid love. So, put lunch. Make a five-course lunch for him. So when he gets up at four o'clock in the afternoon, because he's up to four o'clock at night, he should come downstairs, there should be a card, we love you, we made you a lunch. I'm thinking to myself, if I could work this out with God, it would be amazing. Imagine, I would say, Hashem, I did something really bad last night. Show me your love. I'm always good, so I don't know if you love me, but if I do something bad, maybe, make, maybe Hashem will make a kiddush and Shemayim. Make me lunch, God. Make me lunch. I'm bad to the bone. Make me lunch. Make me supper. What are, you, what are, what are we talking about here? Totally connected everything we stand for. So this Hasidish guy after this whole... Oh, and then he goes on and he says, and the boy called me the next day and he said, I'm going to come there with you and in 15 years from now, because this mother did this, he and his friends are going to become G'dayle Hadar. Hmm. You think Rav Moshe, your Rav David Feinstein did this to Rav Moshe? Is that why he's a G'dayle Hadar? You think my Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel, did this to his father? You think Rav Shmuel Birnbaum did this to his parents? If you want to look at who becomes the G'dayle Hadar, let's look at the G'dayle Hadar. Maybe Rav Chaim Kayaneski stayed out till four o'clock with his friends drinking. And he did this to the stipler. And now he became a fine Kayaneski. Because in 15 years, we expect this kid who got lunch made for him because he did this terrible Aveira, he's going to be a Galo Hadar. Show me a Galo Hadar that did this to his parents and became a Galo Hadar. Show me one. 
Maybe we have Shmuel Kamenetsky to Rabbi Yaakov? I don't think so. Find me a Godel that did this to his parents. Were you shooting off your mouth and saying that in 15 years these guys are going to be Gedolim? Hashem should give them a Rishas Yaman in 15 years. What are you saying? The people are watching this, and they're listening to this, and they're buying into this. It's totally Kenegara Torah. God, God doesn't exist anymore. Just our kids. Just have a relationship with our kids. God's out the door. Finished. He's done. Okay, so this Hasidic guy who everyone ripped apart, not knowing, I happened to have spoken to him yesterday, that he didn't send his, his little thing on the on their internet to the world. He sent it to his brother. Because after he heard this, he was like to his brother, yeah, yeah, our father made us lunch. My machila was red. I was walking around. He whacked me. My Rebbe whacked me. He was talking to his brother. His brother put it online. And then he got ripped down. Who are you? Why don't you give your name? He was talking to his brother. He wasn't giving his brother his name. It was his brother who sent this onto the internet. He was talking to it. This was a message from him to his brother. It had nothing to do with the internet. Why would he tell his brother his name? You're not a professional. Who are you to say how to bring up children? He didn't say how to bring up children. He said how he was brought up and that he didn't jump off a bridge and he's not taking medicine and he got whacked. He didn't say that anyone should whack anyone. Let's take this word professional. I would like to talk about this word. Because last year on Tisha B'Av I spoke to children that are suffering and I said, don't be a victim, be a victor. Get up, you can do it. Everyone can do it. Empower them. Don't rip them down. Empower them. I got killed. How dare you, how dare you tell someone to be a victor? How dare you tell someone to be successful? You're not allowed to say that. And this one rabbi went online, who I thought was my friend, but he's not my friend, and ripped me to pieces online and said, who is Wallerstein to talk about kids at risk? Hello? <laughs> That's what Wallerstein does. What does he know? Go to the professionals. Who are the professionals? Therapists? Rabbeim? Who's a professional in helping children at risk? And helping children that are in pain. I know a lot of good therapists. I don't want to say their names. I'd love to say their names. They deserve it. But then I might leave out one or two and then they're going to need therapy because I left them out. So I don't want to, I don't want to do that. There are some amazing therapists. I want to tell you that all the Jewish women and men that are, in thera- that are therapists that are amazing, Hashem should give them siyat and that your kids should never go off. They should never be challenged. But a lot of people in therapy, and I'm, I'm talking to the therapist right now for two seconds, they're very hurt. You see, you're the professionals. When the 45 minutes are up, you're like, in the middle of a sentence, the kid's in the middle of a sentence, you're like, I'm sorry, your 45 minutes are up. So the kid feels, you don't love me. You don't care about me. You care about the $200 an hour. They're professionals. 45 minutes, it's up. I'm not allowed to get enmeshed with you. I'm not allowed to give you advice legally. You have to come to it on your own. If the kid calls a therapist in the middle of the night, the recording by all of them are the same. In case of emergency, go to the emergency room or call 911. You don't need to tell that to somebody. They know that. They want to talk to you, but you're not allowed to. So I hold that all these women and men that are superstars, and a lot of them I'm very close to, if they weren't therapists, they could do so much more. 
because it wouldn't have to go by the laws of therapy. They are naturally smart and good people, and they need to go to school because if you don't have letters after your name, you can't get a job. But their greatness is like a ball player who is a natural ball player. He needs a coach to fix a few things, but left alone, he's still a superstar. There are a lot of Jewish male and female therapists that are unbelievable, and they know exactly what I'm talking to because I speak to them all the time. They are superstars, and they are therapists who destroy children because they themselves are not healthy. It's like that. There are Bayim that save kids, and there are Bayim that, that destroy children. It's in, it's in everything and every, there are parents that, that save their children and bring up their children, and a dysfunctional parents that kill their parents. In every relationship, any relationship in life, there are those who, those are those who destroy, and there are, there are those who build in, every, in a marriage, in every relationship. So, who's a professional? Many times people come up to you, did you read that article in so-and-so magazine? Did you, read, did, you, did you read the editor, what he wrote about kids at risk? And I'm like, what's his name? Who wrote it? I'm like, I'm not going to read it. Why not, Ray Wallstein? It's brilliant. I'm like, because I never met him in Cornell, in the psych ward. I never met him in Long Island Jewish, in the eating disorder ward. I never met him in Westchester, in the psych ward. I never met him in Florida, in, return, in, 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 in the refuge. I never met him in Utah. I never met him in Oklahoma. I never met him in Texas. I never met him on the street. I never met him in Maimonides psych ward or Maimonides intensive care because the kid overdosed or she's cutting or she's not eating and she's 70 pounds and she's 25. Who are all these professionals? Where are they? Who are making these recordings that you're all listening to? I don't see them. They're not in the field. Their hands are not bloody. Their hands are not dirty. What do they know about anything? What makes a person a professional? What gives a person an opinion? When you're in the trenches and you are bleeding with the kids and you're crying at night and there's no time that your phone has a recording, go to the emergency room and your whole life is about them, you're still not a professional. My phone doesn't stop ringing. I'm not a professional. I have 38 years in yeshiva. My life, my wife will tell you, my life is with the sickest, most painful people in the world. And I will tell you that I cannot help one person in this world without siyata deshmaya. There's a mission in Pirkei Avos. And the mission in Pirkei Avos says the following. A, little, a boy came over to me this morning in shul said to me, I'm, I'm starting, I'm, be, I'm becoming a Rebbe next year, 11th grade. Rabbi Wallstein, you're doing this for so long. Just give me one word of advice. H- how, are you, how do you become a good Rebbe? I said, it's the second mission on Pirkei Avos and Perik Shani. Listen to this. There are no professionals. No one can help your children. No one. Not the biggest doctor, not the biggest rabbi, no one can help your children without siyad Shmaya. No one. And this is what the Mishnah says. It's a tough Mishnah for me. Anyone who works with the public. Whatever you do, you're a therapist, you're a Rebbe, you're a parent, do it for Hashem. Because you can't do anything. What's going to help them? The schus of us. Says the Mepharshim, who's of us? 
Avram Yitzhak Yaakov, Sari Menu, Ritzki Menu, Rafaleya. You want help, you need their help. They will help you fix the children. And the person who does this, your tzitzkis will be forever. And then Hashem gives us a bracha, the people who are in Tzavki Tzibur. I'm going to pay you and I'm going to give you a lot of reward like you did something. The only mitzvah in the world that it says, you didn't do nothing. You didn't do anything. You don't get any credit. When a person's in Tzorchei Tzibur, you are so not professional, you so don't have a chance helping anyone, that really, Rabbi Wallerstein, you don't deserve one drop of star for what you do. Because if you're successful, you have nothing to do with it. Mishnah. But Hashem will give you a reward anyway, even though you don't deserve it. So who can walk around and say, I can save kids, I know how to save kids. You don't know how to do nothing. No rabbi, no Wallerstein, no therapist, no doctor. Says the Mishnah, you don't know how to do anything. You have to start. Your mitzvah is to do. If I give you Sata Deshma, you'll have Sata Deshma. Kids that I thought would be amazing went off the wall. Kids that I thought were off the wall ended up amazing. You, when you do what I do, you see that it's all Hashem. Because the, the, the things that you thought you said that would help someone ended up killing them. And the things that you thought were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. The kid's like, wow, you saved my life. I'm going to give you an example. True story. The stories I'm saying today, I never said before. But they're needed. They're needed. This is real. So, I went to Cornell, to the psych ward, to see a girl. And I'm in the psych ward, and I'm talking to this girl, and there's a boy, Cedar boy, sitting in the corner with his head on the desk. And I'm talking to her for three hours. He didn't move his head in three hours. So I asked the therapist, has to be one-on-one, they're sitting there in the room, I said to the therapist, what's going on with that kid? Of course, they can't tell me. But if you want to talk to the parents, they'll be here in a half an hour. So I waited, they came. I said, what's going on with your son? He said he was molested really very bad multiple times. And he's, he, he's totally suicidal. He took 100 Tylenols. That's why he's here. And he's totally suicidal. And he's already here over three weeks. And you're only supposed to be there five days. Because he keeps saying, the minute I walk out of here, I'm killing myself. And you, you can't let them out of a psych ward unless they stop saying that. I said, you mind if I talk to him? No problem. So the next day I came with chocolates. I always brought her chocolates. I brought him chocolates. He likes chocolate. So he picks up his head. He's a cute kid. About 14 years old. He picks up his head and I'm like, you got to get out of here. He goes, I get out of here, Rabbi. I'm going to kill myself. He's talking Yiddish. I'm, I'm killing myself. I said, why? Why do you want to kill yourself? He says, because Hashem doesn't want me in this world. Hashem doesn't want you in this world. I said, first of all, let me tell you something. If we were walking down Avenue J, the two of us, me and you, and a bus was coming down, about to hit a little kid, right, that got away from his mother, I said, you would jump in front of the bus and save the kid. He goes, yeah, I would. I said, I don't know if I would, because there'd be a hesitation. If I jump in front of the bus, I'm going to get killed. But you want to get killed. So you're going to save that kid. I'm not. And when you save that kid, you save his mother, his father, the grandparents, the diaries afterwards. I said, just being alive in this world, pulling a kid out in front of a bus, you saved one effort, you created a whole world. You could do that. In fact, you would do that way before anyone I know would do that. Because you don't really care. So I got his interest. 
So I said to him, why? Why don't you want to live? This is so crazy what he answered me. He said, after what happened to me, I am never going to touch another human being. And I know that I have a mitzvah, I have a mitzvah of Puruvu. Hashem put a man on this world, he has a mitzvah of Puruvu. And being that I'll never touch a woman, I'll never have children, let me die, and Hashem will send back another boy, he will have children. This was his psychology. And that's it, I don't want to live, because I'm not going to have children. I said, okay, that's uh, pretty heavy. Um, and this therapist was a guy he's sitting there. She doesn't have, have to have children. And she's there. They think we're crazy, totally. I didn't know what to answer. I said, okay, Chef, I'm going to go lunch. I'm starving. I'm going to come back an hour or two. Okay, we'll talk. He goes, yes, I'd love to talk to you. Fine. I go out and I said, I'm out just crying. I'm going to do with this little boy. This poor little kid. Somebody molested him. And now, he doesn't ever want to be with a woman. He's never going to have children. And he, he's eating himself up so much that he wants to die because he wants someone else to come into the world to replace him so that that person's going to have children. Because what am I supposed to tell him? I'm begging you for Siyad Nishmaya. Please give me the answer. I went downstairs, unhealthy. I bought myself potato chips, peanut chews, because when I get up tight like that, I don't know what to do. I need therapy for that. Separate. If anyone does that kind of therapy, we need to talk. Everything I could eat, I was eating, and I was like, you got to help me. And I'm sitting in the downstairs, they have this night, and I see a kid buy a tub of ice cream, one of those little tubs of ice cream, haagen and I'm looking at the tub of ice cream, I'm like, thank you, Hashem, I love you. And I run upstairs, and I go back to sit with this boy. I'm not a therapist, I never, I just, just made it out of high school, I have no training whatsoever, but I love HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I love his children. And I come upstairs, and I said, I want to tell you a story. And of course, I had the therapist, right, she's sitting right on top of me. Because God forbid the rabbi is going to say something that's going to make it worse. So she's right there. I'm like, I want to tell you a story. There was once a tati, there was once a mommy, and a little boy came to his mother and said, Ma, could you buy me ice cream? I never had ice cream in my life. And the mother goes, sure, Chaim, I'll buy you ice cream. And she buys him a big tub, quart tub of vanilla ice cream. And he, he's sitting there by supper, and he says to his mother, Ma, can you give me ice cream? And the father gets up, and he goes to the freezer, and he takes out the quart of ice cream, and he takes off the top, and he smashes it into the kid's face. And the kid can't breathe. He's got a whole tub of ice cream in his face. <gasps> he's trying to breathe and he's turning blue. And at the last second, the father takes the ice cream off and says, next time you'll say, please. I said to this little boy, I want you to answer the following question. You heard that story? It's terrible. Meanwhile, the therapist is thinking, oh my God, he's re-traumatizing the kid. She's never going to eat ice cream anymore. Well, who's this guy, Wallerstein? She's thinking, Where, where's he going? Where's he going? So I said... I want to ask you, Shefla, tell me. I just told you a very bad story. Is ice cream bad? I want you to answer the question. Is ice cream bad? He doesn't answer. I'm like, do you think this child will ever eat ice cream again? He says, no. I'm like, okay. I want you to answer the question. Is ice cream bad? 
No, ice cream is good. Kids love ice cream. Before the story, I used to love ice cream. So what's bad in the story, Shefullah? What's bad? The father's bad. Yeah, the father's very bad. But is ice cream bad? Ice cream's not bad. Being physical with a woman after you're married is called zivuk. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Shekhinah, is in the room. It's the holiest time of a husband and wife. The holiest time. Bigger than Shabbos. Zivug, Belayl, Shabbos, Friday night. What the Zaya talks about, what you do in Shemayim, what goes on. Don't ask. I said Zivug is very holy. Physical relationship between a husband and wife is extremely holy. Ice cream is extremely good. But what this person did to you with the physical relationship was that father. He's bad. Being married to a woman and being physically with her, the Kedusha, is not bad. Ice cream is not bad. Zivug is not bad. But both people in both stories, they're bad. This boy is in Shiduchim right now. It's not, my, it's not my point. Sitting there next to me is this therapist. She calls the head therapist, the doctor, in. She says, Dr. Wallerstein, I became a doctor immediately. <laughs> he asked me where I got my doctorate. I said, there's a rabbinical college on Avenue R called M-I-R-R-E-R, Mira Rabbinical College. I didn't want to tell them I just got out of high school because that would flip them out. Cornell's psych ward on sexual abuse has a memorandum from a guy named Dr. Wallerstein on how to treat children who, after sexual abuse, don't want any more physical relationships. I went to college. I studied abuse. I cried to Hashem that there's a Jewish child that needs my help. There's no such thing as a professional. Should you give advice when you don't know what you're doing? Of course not. Do I send a lot of people to therapists all day long? To the therapists I trust all day long. Do I believe in EMDR? Do I believe in therapy? Do I believe in Regina Melrose and what she does? Who's anti-all therapy? I've seen what she does. Amazing. There are, there are people out there that do amazing work. But don't discount us guys that are in the trenches. Don't discount the people. If you want to know what's going on, don't read some magazine with an editor who never got off his chair in his office. Or some rabbi who's sitting up somewhere. Or some guy who's talking for 10 hours to parents and never taught a child in his life. Never even met the patient. Imagine parents come to a doctor and they're like, this is what's going on, what should I do? What is the doctor like? I don't know, i got to see the kid. Maybe your perception and your reality of your child is totally wrong what you're giving me over, so I'm giving you the wrong diagnosis. How dare you make a decision on a child without meeting him? Parents call me all the time, right, Watson, what should I do, what should I do? I'm like, I am not talking to you. Bring me your kid. My kid's not coming to you. I can't help you. Did you help someone if you don't meet the patient? So many kids, the parents are like, I have no problems with my child, except they're fresh. I talk to the kid, he's Machal Shabbos, he's smoking pot, he's an alcoholic. And the parents are like, he just talks back, they have no idea what's going on. You have to meet the child. You have to love the child. How, I, I, had, I talked to a bunch of therapists about this, and, and, my, and I told this boy this morning, 
So I showed him the mission. I said, there's one more thing you need to do. You want to be successful? Want to have Siyad Shmaya? The first day, get every single boy his name and his mother's name. And every night when you go to sleep, daven for every single kid, then Hashem knows you really love them, He'll give you the Siyad Shmaya. So I have two therapists. I said, you want, to, you, want to be, you want to really help people? Every single kid that comes to you, you better know their name and their mother's name because you're a therapist. 45 minutes, they've got to be out the door. They can't reach you. You can't get enmeshed. You can't give them advice. So what can you do for them besides listening? You can daven for them. How could you see a person for a year and I call you up and you, got, you took $20,000 and I call you up and I'm like, what's this kid's Hebrew name and his mother's name? I don't know. You mean you never daven for this kid? Everyone in here can daven for a kid. You know that someone's off to Derek in your family? Oh, I'm not a therapist. I can't help. Sure you can help. Shema koleinu, atuchelundas, hashivenu, slachlanu, rifaenu. Of course you can help. You see what the Mishnah says. Without Hashem's help, you can't do anything. How do you get Hashem's help? By davening. So this is the most ridiculous video. He should get up and he should have a meal waiting for him. That's why you bring up your children. That's what Hashem wants. What did you do with the fifth commandment? What do you think he's going to turn into? Okay, Rabbi, they told me about the Shabbos. So what would happen if the woman would have called you? What would you have said? I would have said, I don't want to talk to you, lady. Have your son call me. And the boy would have called me and I would have said, you know, your mother told me this whole story. What you need to do when your parents come home tonight at 7, you need to make a meal for them. Show them it's your chance. Maybe you need to start drinking and eating cake. It's your chance. You messed up. And it's your chance to show them that you love them. Instead of telling them to bug off, you make supper. That's what I told that boy. And that boy, if he made supper, maybe would grow up to be a Tamachach. He has to apologize for every second that his mother and father were suffering. Now, of course, this is going to go around and I'm going to get blasted, which is fine. I'm a Kayan and I'm not from Aaron, I'm from Pinchas, so we, we handle this stuff. I want to, I want to read you Shulchan Aruch. I didn't write the Shulchan Aruch. It happens to be the reason I'm very sensitive to this whole thing because I'm in the middle of writing a book um, for Archgirl. Hilchas Kibbutz Aim, a lesson a day, like I did on on, on Hakar Satov, because they're both they're, they're all one. Hakar Satov and Kibbutz Aim is one. So I'm very deep in the halachas of Kibbutz Aim, and I want to tell you something. There is no mitzvah of the 613 mitzvahs that Hashem is more sensitive and 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 punishes or consequences than Kibbutz Aim. He has no pity on people who don't have Kibbutz Aim because it's the basis of your parents brought you up, and even if you're dysfunctional now and they're abusive, so then leave the house. Get out. But they did burp you, and they did die for you, and they did bring you into the world, and they did take you to school, and they did make meals when you were a little teeny, and they loved you and they kissed you, and they put on your diaper rash all kinds of cream that they would never do for any other kid because they would never change another kid's diaper in their life. And they wiped up your throw up, and they stayed up all night. So where's your car satov? Even if they're dysfunctional now, so get out. Don't let anyone abuse you. Chas Get out. But how dare you tell your mother to bug off? What is she, some chicks in the street? Did you talk to your mother like that? So, Wallstein, whoa, how can you say that? I am a man of the word, and I am a man of God. 
And therefore, my education is the word. And this is the word. Hilchitz Kivar He says a story. He says the following. At Hechon, to what level does Kivar go? He tells a story. Haben Lavash Kamudos. The boy, the son of the parents, he was dressed very uh, royal, very royal, wearing beautiful clothing, brand new clothing. He was the president of the congregation. And one day, while he was sitting in front of the congregation with his beautiful clothes, his mother and father came for no reason. They ripped his new clothing. Let me say one word. They ripped his new clothing. And they hit him in the head. There's not a little kid. This is a, a, the Rosh Hakol. And they spit in his face. Don't say a word. Be quiet. What? They shouldn't make me lunch and supper. They ripped my clothes, spit in my face hit me, embarrass me, and the Shulchan Aruch says, shh, don't answer back. Impossible. Rabbi Wallerstein, that's impossible. Says the Shulchan Aruch, we know. Like, hello? You have to take abuse? Again, you don't have to take abuse. If you're abusing, you leave. But he didn't know that they were going to do this. Says the Shulchan Aruch. The only way you could get through this, be scared of the king, the king of kings, because that's the mitzvah of Kibbut So even though you want to get up, and you want to scream, and you want to yell, and you want to embarrass them, shut up. You know why? Because that's God's will. It's God's word. We're God's people. Why? Because if you scream back, it's not going to hurt them. They don't care. It's going to hurt you. But you just screamed at something that did something for you in your life. And once that becomes part of you, you're going to become an ingrate. These parents did nothing wrong to this child. They gave him a car. They didn't scream at him or yell at him. He went with his friends. In the speech, the rabbi says, Well... His friend, first of all, he was the only ride. So, and it would have sounded like he's a mama boy had he said, well, I can't take you because my mama said I got to be home at nine. And it would embarrass him in front of all his friends. And I would have said to this boy, man, you had your chance. You had your chance to be a Marine. You had your chance to be a man. To look at your friends and say, listen, guys, I may be your only ride. But I'm my mother's only child. Because every child is an only child. I can't hurt her. She gave me this car, guys. It's just wrong. Wow. His chance to be a star. Let me tell you. I know guys. They would have said, yo, respect, man. We respect you. Wow. You're not taking us out because of your mother? Because you appreciate what she does for you? You're the man. Just the opposite. You're a nobody. You sacrificed your parents to make a bunch of guys happy who ended up in a bar, as the story goes, with fake IDs. Yeah, they're definitely going to be good to be I'm just waiting. 
just waiting. Like every gun will have a fake ID. You know that? So Rav Chaim, give me your real ID. Come on. Who are you? What are we nuts? And we're watching this and we want to watch this. So this Hasidish guy got up and he spoke in Yiddish and he made me very proud. And I'm listening to him, you know, how his Rebbe used to kill him, like my Rebbe and my parents and whatever. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, yeah, he went through what I went through. And then all of a sudden this guy comes out and says, who are you? Who are you? How can you talk? You're not a professional. Who's, he's a pro- what, they're professionals? Sitting in a house talking for nine hours? Where are you? I'm looking, I want to meet all these professionals. Where are they? Come with me, let's go. Let's go to Long Island Jewish. I have a girl right now. She's in Westchester. She's dying. No, come with me this afternoon. Let's go visit her. I don't see anybody there. There's a few guys, a few superstars. I, again, I don't want to leave anyone out, but there's some guys and girls out there. Wherever I go, I see them. Wherever I go, I can call at 3 o'clock at night. i got to get a kid into Westchester, pick him up, get him in. We're calling this guy Mendelowitz. We're connecting. We're doing this. We're doing that. There are people out there. But you know what? Every single one of those guys don't write in Mishpacha. Or in any magazine or blog. None of them. Because they're doing the work. They're not sending out emails. They're doing the work. Their hands are bloody. Their hands are filthy. They have no life. You want to talk to someone about kids? Those are the professionals. They have Seattle Mishmai because they're doing it for Akkadish Baruch. I want to end with, I'm going to tell you a story and then I'm going to end with the Gemara because it's twisted parenting, like, uh, not twisted parenting, I'm sorry. It's, it's criticism and positive, which is two opposite things. It sounds like an oxymoron and how could it work? And it works very well. And I thought that the whole thing came out five years ago. This big therapist came out with this whole positive criticism and then a guy shows me, what are you talking about? It's a Beferish Gemara in Bogmatia. As, as it'll, it'll always be. So I want to end with this story. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. All these stories I'm telling you are 100% true. I changed the names, I changed the gender, I changed a couple of things because I don't want anyone to recognize who it is. So this guy comes to me. He has a son, normal, I mean a daughter, normal girl, normal everything. Life is great. One day, in the middle of the night, she comes into her parents' room and she pulls off the blankets to wake them up. And this, this, this girl starts doing the craziest things in the world. Crazy stuff. Doesn't go to school, locks herself in the room, every single night wakes up her parents, throws food at them, like she just became nuts. So they take her to every psychiatrist, to the biggest one. He took $2,000, this lady. She spent like eight hours, and then she writes up a whole report, and she said, spectrum, somewhere on the spectrum, I can't find it. Somewhere on the spectrum. Asperger's, this, that, I can't find it. Can you give him medicine? No. Can you therapy? No. These kids fall in the cracks. I can't do anything. This therapist, that's person, he spent all this money. I'm like, you know, let's go to Eretz Yisrael. Let's go to the Gedolim. It seems to be it's a nefashas problem. It's a spiritual problem. Because no one in the physical world can figure it out. So we go to Rav Gamliel. With the father and the daughter. I come to Rav Gamliel, and he tells the whole story. One day to the next, the kid became a crazy person. Doesn't let her sleep. Hits her mother continuously. Slaps and beats her mother. Totally, they don't know who she is. Like a, dem- a demon. I thought maybe it was a dibuk. Let's go to the Gedolim. I don't know. It, 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 crazy. But she's the nicest kid. When she goes to school, to other people, to me, nothing. Beautiful. Just to her parents. So we come to Rabbi Gamaliel. True story. And he looks at her. He looks at her name. He says, could you go out of the room? He says to, this, to the father... Do you want Rabbi Wallstein in the room or don't you want Rabbi Wallstein in the room? He says, no, whatever you have to say, I'm not worried about. He looks at this guy. He says, 
Why did you hit your father? This guy's standing next to me, I know him. He says, what? Why did you hit your father? I said, did you hit your father? He said, there was one time he slapped me across the face. I was an older bacher. I turned around, I slapped him back across the face. I'm like, uh-oh. Rabbi Gamaliel said, listen carefully, I want to quote what he said. That every time a person does something against their parent, breaks kibbutz of aim, he creates a malach mazik. When you hit your father, you created this malach. And this malach waited till you have children. Because the midah keneged midah is, you hit your father, so now this child has to hit you. Happens to be hitting your wife and doing all these other crazy things. You are the one who created that malach. And this man says, what should I do? He said, you go right now to your father's kever, he was dead. And you take off your shoes. And he gave him a tefillah to ask forgiveness from a parent after they die. And you cry your eyes out. And you ask for mechila. And that's what he did. And he came back and Rabbi Gamil said, he was mechil, in 40 days she'll become normal. I saw this, my wife knows exactly what happened to her. Did, he become, did she become totally normal? Not totally normal, but very normal, married with kids. Gone. I'm out of New York State saying over this story. And a man comes over to me. And he says to me, Rabbi Wallerstein, I have such a kid. I have a son. Exactly like that. He was just normal. He was doing everything normal. He flipped out. He started hitting us, throwing things. I said, so... How are you to your parents? Well, my parents were Holocaust survivors. They were very hard on me, but I never answered them back. I never did anything to them. I'm like, so I guess this has nothing to do with you. He says, you need to talk to my wife. So I met his wife. And I said, so we got a problem over here. I, saw, I met the kid. I said, how are you to your parents? And if they're listening to this share, you can't understand. I, I, I still know who they are. It's not normal what happened. So I said, how are you to your parents? Well, she's a Sephardi. She said, well, I got married to my husband who was an Ashkenazi and they cut me out of the family. They live in Israel and they cut me out of the family and when my father died, I didn't go to the Kfura and I didn't sit Shiva. Because we had a very big fight and I felt I didn't have to sit Shiva. And then when my mother died, I, she was the one that was behind the whole family breakup. And I didn't, I didn't sit shiver for her either. I said, you need to get on a plane now, because they're buried in Israel. I said, you need to get on a plane now. That's like really bad stuff. Go to my Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel, tell him what happened, and he'll, he'll give you the tefillah to ask forgiveness, and I'm sure he'll be better. So they, the next morning they were gone. They went to Israel. They, went to, they didn't go to Rabbi Gamliel. They went, I told them what to do. They went to the kever. The, the tefillah is in the main, whatever it's called. There's a tefillah in there. They went. They took a minion. No, they didn't take a minion. She went by herself with her husband. And she stood there. She said the tefillah. She cried by her father. Then she cried by her mother. She said she never cried in her life. And they went to Rabbi Gamliel. And she said, what happened? And Rabbi Gamliel said, you're not forgiven. Not at all. You're totally not forgiven. She said, Why? 
He said, because you were Mavayish, your parents, but Barabim. When the Leviathan, everybody sings Shiva, they asked where you were. Everybody asked where you were, and you weren't there. So you embarrassed your mother and your father after their deaths because you didn't show up. You going to ask Mechila is not going to work because you were Mavayish, then Barabim. You need to do is you need to take 10 men, a minion, you need to go there. You need to say the tefillah. You give certain things to say. Take your shoes off. They both kvarim and cry like you never cried in your life. For what you did, it's very hard to be forgiven for. You did a barabim. You're going to do tshuva barabim in front of those ten men. I called up Rabbi Odessa, who I work with. I said I need ten yeshiva guy talmidim. He immediately met them at the grave. They said kaddish, whatever they had to do. Rabbi, Rabbi he called me and he told me. Rabbi Wallstein, those ten kids will have the kibbut of aim better than anyone you'll ever meet in your life. This woman was screaming and wailing that my ten boys who don't even know her, what, they asked, why are we doing here? And they said she did something wrong to her parents. That the ten kids were crying like babies. And they don't even know this American. And she came back to Rabbi Gamliel and he said, you, you did it with a minion, you have mechila. And that kid today is totally normal. Don't mess with Kibbutz of Amen. Don't mess with the fifth of the Ten Commandments, the one that's been Adam Amakam and been Adam Achavero. There's a payment for that. Don't play with it. So you need to tell your child, I love you, and because I love you, you should have made me suffer. Not I should have made you suffer. Chas Vashon. Don't listen to all this stuff online. Tzadikim who are not professionals, today, the tzaddikim that we have, my Rebbe doesn't stop a whole day. Divorces, problem having children, problem getting married. We all never went to college. He never even went to high school. He doesn't even know how to speak English. He never read a book on psychology in his life. Why is everybody going to Rebbe Gamliel? Why is everyone going to Rabbi Brudney? Rabbi Brudney never went to college? Because he's a gadol. Because he's doing it L'shem Shemayim. So he gets Siyad V'Dishmayim. And that's why we run to Tzaddikim and Gedalim. Half the people that believe that stupidity that was on that video, their husbands are busy going to Gedalim. Do you think if you went to a Gadol and told them that story, you think Rav Chaim Kainesti would tell you to make them lunch? And make Kiddush? So if you're going for brachos, why don't you ask him the question? You can't buy into this stuff. A Mormon! Is this the man of God? Is this the word of God? This is the word of the devil! A Mormon said that to me. Who has no Torah and has no mitzvahs. Stop! You're the mothers. Bring your children into Ganeden. Bring your children to Arichas Yomim. So someone said to me when I spoke Mati Shabbos, well, I love this one. Times are different, Rabbi. Okay, let's go eat chazer. Times are different. The reason you, eat, you couldn't eat pig is because it had a tapeworm and the tapeworm was very dangerous. Now there's no more tapeworm. If we're going to start playing with the Ten Commandments, what's old and what's new, Hashem gave the Torah la'olam bo'ed. Nothing in the Torah can be changed. Nothing has changed. Or, we don't, if we're not going to keep the fifth, why do we have to keep the fourth? Shabbos? 
You're not allowed to make a fire? Today, to make a fire, you light a match. So in those days, it was a gansa maisa, making a fire. Today, it takes a second. So let's throw out number four, because days are different. Let's throw out number five, because days are different. Which one you want to throw out? Let's throw that one out. Days are different. Guys like, you know, guys are watching things they shouldn't. They have Yetzirah. So, yeah. So it's adultery. No, adultery was for those days. Today's adultery doesn't count. Well, what days? What changed? Don't buy into that. Nothing changed. You want to start changing? Oh, I got better stuff to change. Then give it up aim. There's no such thing as today is different. Should you hit, should you hit children? No. No one has a right to hit a child because you know what? That's not therapy. You're, just, you're hurting somebody. That, anyone that tells you you should hurt somebody is wrong. The only child you're allowed to hit is a two, three-year-old that ran, across, that ran across the street because you're going to sit there and try to explain to them, well, it's not good for you because the car is going to hit you and then you're going to have to go to the hospital. The kid's like, it ain't going to work. So he needs to get a potch so that he knows, street, ow. I'm not going there. But anything else... We don't have to hit our kids. We're just hurting them. And the people who used to hit, the way you're supposed to hit, that's not the way that we got hit. It's supposed to be very patient. It's supposed to be a little punch on the hand. It's not supposed to be smack you in the face, crack you over the head. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Ramah, even where it says you should, you should spear the rod, you shouldn't spear the rod. So people think you shouldn't spear the rod. That was in those days. You know what the Chachamim were talking about? Not taking the rod and whacking them. That's not... It's taking the rod and saying, bad, it was very bad what you did. Like that. People think, spear the rod, right? Robert Wallstein, the, the title wasn't to abuse. Does it say you should take the rod and break his head? Break his arm, get stitches? It says you give him a little patch. A little patch, a little slough patch. We don't, can't even do that today. But I'm just saying, because we get out of control. We don't do it with shame Shemayim. Okay. Sorry that, it, that I went this long, but it's, it's that important. So I want to tell you a little bit about positive criticism. So this is how it works. And it's extremely painless. And it mamish works. I've used it a lot. So, when you go over to someone, a kid, and you empower them, or a wife, or a husband, or any relationship, you empower them. The kid comes home with a 50, we spoke about this. And you talk about the 50% they got right. How'd you get number four right? I wouldn't even get number four right. That is so brilliant. Kid's like, I'm not so stupid. So they look in the mirror and they're like, I'm not so stupid, so why did I get a 50? Because I was playing around. I was, but I could get a 70. Next time he's getting a 70. You didn't yell at him, you didn't scream at him because he got a 50, your father's going to have a heart attack and I'm never going to have friends and your sister's never going to get married and the poor kid's walking around totally, totally deflected and, and, and the mother doesn't know why is my son depressed. Well, he's walking around, he got a 50. You told him that his father's going to have a heart attack. He's, reading, he's working five jobs and now you failed. So he's thinking, I killed my father. Your sister will never get a shit up because the people are going to talk about how stupid our family is. So he's walking around, my sister's going to be 100 years old, not married. You know who did it? Me. And you know, I can't even talk to my friends because they found out what you got and her son got 100. So my mother has no friends, my father's going to die, my sister's going to be a spinster. I mean, well, how come my kid's depressed? Hello? You got 50 right. Shafel, let's sit down and try to figure out how you got those right. Empowerment. You're fantastic in art. Let's focus in art. You know what? I decided to report that you didn't do so well, but you have so many friends and so many people love you. You're like the best friend. You're, you got an elephant best friend. Empower the child. What happens is, if he's not doing what he's supposed to, he's going to self-criticize. The number four batter in baseball is the guy who hits all the home runs. So he's not doing well. He keeps striking out. 
So the coach goes over to him. He can either yell at him, then the guy's going to go into a slump because he's like, he's going to start thinking how to swing. He'll never hit the ball. Or he can say, listen, you know, I watched you last year. You're the man. You are the best baseball player in the world. You have the strongest swing. You're unbelievable. It's going to be okay. You're going to get that swing back. You're going to get those home runs back. You know what happens? He didn't criticize. He's going to go back. He's going to look in the mirror and say, what is wrong with me? I hit 40 home runs last year. I haven't hit one. And he's going to go out. He's going to practice. He's going to practice. He's going to hit 50 home runs. The positive is when you talk to the child or the husband or the wife and you're telling her, your food is amazing. Your mama's a great chef. She knows she's not doing well. She's, she's not showing up. She's buying him pizza. She's warming up stuff from yesterday. And he's not yelling at her. He's just saying, you know, that when you cook, your food is better than anything I ate. So then she looks at herself and says, what am I doing? Even my husband thinks I'm a great chef. But I'm not doing it. So she criticizes herself. Self-criticism is very positive when you work on yourself because someone believes in you. So I do this. I hope the girls in my school don't hear about this because I do this all the time with girls that I know are much better than the way they're acting because you can't give them full soul. And I do this all the time with them and they become superstars. I'm like, listen, I know you're going through a lot of stuff, but I just saw what you did for someone. You're like the biggest balance chesed here. And all of a sudden, she's doing chesed. She hated chesed because at once she thinks I'm the biggest ball of chesed. I'm not doing it. So you self-criticize. So it's positive. But really, you're very smart because by complimenting that person and they're not doing what they're supposed to, they're going to self-criticize and do what they're supposed to. It works like a dream. And I thought that this was from the therapeutic world and the Gemara says the story, we'll finish with this. Rav Shimon by Yehoi's grandson was a prostitute. Rav Shimon by Yehoi's grandson. He was paid, listen to this, I'll read it to you from inside. Rebbe came to Rav Lazar ben Shimon and he asked, does Rav Lazar ben Rav Shimon by Yehoi have a righteous son? They told him he has a son. And every harlot, every zaina who is hired for two dollars, hires him for themselves for eight. You hear of Shimon Yechai's grandson where he ended up? Okay. Benisi Balakanya, there was a brother of his mother, every day he would say to this boy who was a zaina, come home with me to my city, rather than staying here and learn Torah. And every day he would he would say, absolutely not, I don't want to go there. He said, if you come, they'll make you into a sage, into a rabbi. They'll spread a gold garment on you and call you Rebbe. Yet you say, I want to go home to my city? You want to go back to your city? He said, I swear, if you abandon what you're doing, when, when, when you grow up, I swear that you'll be a Rebbe and you'll be a tzaddik. When he grew up, he came and sat in Rebbe's academy and they, they heard his voice and they said to Rebbe, who is this, Rebbe And he said, this is my son. And the Gemara goes on that he became a very, very, very big tzaddik. Why? Because somebody told him that you, as bad as you are, you could become a tzaddik, a Rebbe, a, a, a gadol. And he became. And when they came to bury him, by Rav Shimon Bayechai with Rebbe there was a serpent, a snake standing there, didn't let him in. So everybody said, listen to this, everybody said, the reason the snake didn't let him be buried with Rav Shem by Yechai and his son 
because in the old days, you know, he wasn't such a good guy. We judge people, don't we? Right? A serpent. They don't let them bury. Came a basco from Hashem, says the Gemara. And Hashem said, no, 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 no. Michael, what he did, he, he, he turned it all around. Why am I not letting him be buried there? Because Rabbi Shimon Bayechoi and his son lived in a cave and they had no food and they went through big Yisurim, a lot of pain. He didn't go through Yisurim. And therefore he has to be buried outside the cave. But his father, what he did when he was younger, forgiven. So what saved this guy who was so deep, getting eight, four times what the Zionists were getting, he was getting paid, what saved him? Someone came along and said, that's not who you are. You could be a Rebbe. Positive criticism. He was in the worst place. Along comes this rabbi and says, A Zaina? You're not a Zaina. You could be a Rebbe one day. And he looked at himself and said, I could. And he became a Gal Hadar. So instead of telling our children to do Averis, we need to do the opposite. We need to tell our children to do Mitzvahs and Chatz Shalom. Every second that you give your parents heartache is an Aveira. And every second that you give your parents pleasure and you compliment them and you love them and you make them dinner is a manyirich and yamecha but bigger bracha. So it sounds very bad, right? Well, thinking, wow, the whole world seems to be going crazy. But there is a light in the darkness. The light went out, I believe on Friday, a little boy who had brain cancer, died this past Friday, suffered the last two years. They told him he had two months when he was diagnosed when he was 14, and he made it two years, but he went through you know, a lot of stuff. And he passed away, and right now his mother is sitting shiva. And his mother sent me a letter tonight, today to read to all of you. He left a will. He knew he wasn't going to live. They told him that. So he went onto his computer and he wrote a will to his parents. And a shear that I just gave on such abuse of Kivit of Aim to, to, to make a lunch for a child. He wasn't, he's not an off the derrick child. doesn't say anywhere he's off the derrick. Just a miserable kid who stayed up till 4 o'clock in the morning and needs a little bit boundaries and needs a little bit talking to and should have made a meal for his parents and should have wrote a beautiful card with flowers to his mother and something to his father saying, I love you, I love you, I messed up, I was under pressure, but it, it, it's not who I am. Oh, they, would, they, would, they would have been so happy. But no, they had to make him lunch. So I want to read this to you. It wasn't really planned. But Le'ili Nishmas, this little boy, his mother's sitting shiva right now. He died Friday. And he wrote the following. I am the least prominent of Torah students. I'm nothing. He actually called himself, as the Mishnah called, I come from, a, in Hebrew he wrote, I come from a putrid seed. I'm nothing. My name is Shimon Hillel Ben Chaim Yitzhak Azik, Allah Shalom. I was born humbly on the eighth day of the second month of year. I wish to begin with indescribable, immeasurable praise and thanksgiving to the Creator. There's a boy who had two years brain cancer. There has never been anything in any of the worlds other than him. May he be blessed, nor will there be anything other than him. Despite this, he took notice of me and cared for me in such a perfect manner. It is mind-boggling. Even though I was subjected to a little suffering, yeah, I feel no reason to complain to the Holy Creator, Chas 
This is how I have always felt and what I have always believed. I never not even once entertained the thought that the Creator had any intention other than my good. I never thought about discarding my observant upbringing or about any other such absurd notion. I have always been certain there is, there is a judge and judgment. And I understood that I am not wise. I am not even on the level of an Amaretz. This boy was a huge Tamachacham. But I am not so foolish to think that things would be better for me in any way if I would decide to deny Hashem's existence. Where could have I gone to escape your spirit, Hashem? In which direction could I flee? If I would climb to the heavens, you are there. If I would descend to the depths of the neverworld, you would be present. Even though the Yetzirah comes to me all the time, as as many times I have no intentions of rebelling against you. You are the master of all that exists. You have always been, you are present, and you will always be. Even though I have times fallen into the snares of worldly pleasures, Sheba Yibhat Sadik will come. For me, even more so. I hereby declare that I have perfect faith that Hashem is the creator and the conductor of the world, that He is the omniscient, and that His dominion encompasses all the worlds that exist. I have the faith that one day when Mashiach will arrive, and that one day there will be Trias Hamesim. I assert my allegiance to all the tenets of Judaism, especially the 13 fundamental principles of faith. That being said, even if the Yetzirah would one day succeed in, pers- in persuading me to deny the existence of Hashem, who spoke and thereby brought the world into being, I hereby declare in advance to my death that such a denial is futile, that it is due to a temporary lapse of sanity. Chazal taught that a person sins only if he becomes infected with insanity. Therefore I declare at this time that, that if it happens, I ever say or even think such thoughts, you can be absolutely certain that at that moment I am not in my right mind. I know with absolute certainty that he alone exists and there is nothing other than his presence. This being, their question, this being the case, there is no question that I have never sinned with intention to anger you, Hashem. It's only because the Yitzhahara temporarily overcame me and I did not remain steadfast in my awareness of Hashem. It is the fact that a Kosh Baruch would never test anyone unless he knows that the person can in fact withstand the test with Hashem's assistance. Hashem does not desire that even one person in the world become wicked. If someone does not overcome his challenges, undoubtedly because he did not invest all his strength in the struggle. If he does pass the test, then he is indeed fortunate. I, however, I, I, however, have never given up any mitzvahs, I say, or mitzvahs, Lord, I say. Therefore, it is with a broken heart that I stand before you, my, my creator. You are my only master. But you are not my only, you are not only my master, but the master of my entire family. Not only that, you are the master of the entire world. In fact, you are the master of all existence. Not only the world. Not only are you the master, you are the creator. The only one, the one who oversees all. Hashem does not forget anything, nor does he treat anyone unfairly. I, on the other hand, have committed grave sins. I did not think clearly for in truth what value do our lives have. I therefore beg forgiveness and atonement for not having been careful enough to fulfill your Torah. Not only am I guilty of wasting time that could have been used for learning Torah, despite the fact that I was taught some sublime quality of the Holy Torah, but also many times when I had freedom to learn, my body chose the curses of wasteful activities instead of choosing life. I am in pain for myself and for my soul since I did not gain anything from committing these sins. Oi Hashem, you know what sins I've committed. Please, in your abundant mercy, erase my sins. I just want to finish this, just another half a page. I, I can't even be Masig. I can't be Masig who this boy was, who died on Friday. I, I've never read anything like this in my life. This is his last will and testament. What's more, I'm aware that I have not given my peers the honor due, my parents. I have not given my parents the honor due due to them. In fact, I sometimes insulted other people. I'm especially guilty of dishonoring my mother 
and father, causing them much pain. Therefore, I am pleading with all these people to forgive me, for I was not thinking correctly. I am now filled with regret of these things. This act of forgiving me will be considered an eternal act of tzedakah, and in its merit may be granted good long lives with children who busy themselves studying Torah, and may be granted an honorable abundant livelihood. And I'm fully aware that no one owes me anything at all. Nonetheless, if you wish to be kind to me, please do the following. You are surely aware that in the world to come, a person cannot bring his gold or silver, and certainly not his silly self-image of prestige or anything else. He can bring only Torah study and good deeds, things that he cannot accomplish in the world of truth. Therefore, despite my loneliness, I request that you donate all my svarim to places where many people study Torah, so that they will use these svarim, write in each sefer that is given for the elevation of my neshama. Perhaps this will help to purify my soul to whatever degree possible. I hereby declare it to be absolutely forbidden to say or write any false information about me. You are clearly aware that I did not spend all my time studying Torah as many people like to think I did. It is not even possible to say that I was a masmid at all. With a broken heart, I ask that you do this for me. Learn Torah for my sake, for my neshama, give tzedakah, and do other missus for my sake. I did not prepare myself on Erev Shabbos, like the Mishnah says in this world, for the next world. Only someone who toiled to prepare on Erev Shabbos will be able in the next world to eat on Shabbos. To you I say, fight your Yetzirah and overcome it. Don't be, over, don't be overwhelmed or afraid of the challenge. Gird your, your loins like a warrior and do what is just and good in his eyes. If you will do this, you will be most fortunate. Hashem will then match his will and yours and will fulfill your every desire. I hereby request that you have me buried in Eretz Yisrael where there is eternal sanctity. I do not wish to suffer the pain of tunneling through the earth. Since my bank account has very limited funds, I cannot demand this of you. But please understand that this is what I really want. I want to be buried in Eretz Yisrael even if it won't be in an important location. If there are any funds left in my account after arranging for my funeral, give it to my parents, who can then give it to whichever tzedakah they, sit fit, they see fit for the sake of my neshama. In case my parents disagree about where the money should be given, then they should each take half the money. The main thing is that they should not argue over this issue, that I should not be blamed for causing strife. My svarim should be donated to an institution where there are people who will be likely to use them. If any family member would like to take some of my svarim, that would be wonderful. I give my father authority to make that decision. All my other worldly possessions will become my parents' property. If need be, they should divide the items between the two of them. They should use my money to have me buried in Eretz Yisrael. If I do not have enough for that, I do not obligate them to pay for it themselves. But it would certainly be a mitzvah to cover their expenses. If there is any money left over, it should be given to my father to distribute, to distribute to the poor. I would like the Hebrew document, it's written in Hebrew, to be honored in a Besden. Thank you. This was written on his computer. His mother, after he passed away, saw a little light flashing, she printed She printed it. This was his last will and testament. <sighs> you want to go to a professional? You want to go to a professional? On how to bring up your children? Meet this mother and father. Look what they brought up. Look what they brought up. You want to find out how to bring up children? Meet the mother and father of this little boy. And we will be safe to see him. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.